At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumbacure, the World Messenger, inviting you for absolutely another epi- episode of Legacy Leadership. And you guys are here for a treat. Someone that I not only tremendously respect, but I also really want you by end of this conversation to jump on, to connect, get to know, and really look at how amazing work he is doing by sharing and helping others in the greatest need right now that we're seeing. He is working for top five companies in the world. He's representing very well-known brand. He is award-winning recruiter in very short period of time. He is so dedicated for people's success that really deserves to have deep dive, not only how he's doing it, how he's reshaping recruiting process, but also how he is speaking about and how he's delivering very powerful message. And without further ado, my friend is joining us from San Diego and his name is Don Roth. Don, how are you? Hey, Isabella. Uh, I'm happy to be here on Legacy Leaders. Uh, You know, it's overdue. So good to see you. Yes, it is overdue. Guess what, guys? I know, Dan, when everything shut down and we used to hang out in clubhouse and different groups and have a very honest conversations, when a lot of things were very rough and hard, when we didn't know if it's a light of end of the tunnel. And he he was always showing up, first of all, as a phenomenal female supporter for all the women in group and conversation. Perfect chant. Also, as a dad of beautiful twin girls, which we will definitely learn more about, that are now turning almost three. My goodness. Also, dad who juggles so much personally and professionally, and yet always claims the victory in the end. So how, how are you doing these days? days, Dan. I mean, it's like, it just like feels like a so much happened. Please unpack a little bit. How did you land in the world of Amazon? I, you know, the question I get asked most often is how I do everything. And it's the question I don't know how to answer other than to say, I just do it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the best answer that I could give to people is that I feel like when you don't know what you're supposed to do, life drags on. And once you realize what you're meant to do, everything becomes very clear. And Mm -hmm. for me, while I don't wish losing your job on anyone, uh, the pandemic and even more importantly than that, having my children and getting married really set into motion this journey that's led me to being where I am today. And, you know, you mentioned it, it's, it's, I've had to get used to saying it, but I am an internationally recognized award-winning recruiter, professional speaker. I'm an abolitionist. 
uh, it's it's just incredibly dynamic and incredibly humbling. I love how everything came together for you because of work and years of progress, but also your attitude and aptitude and how much you will continue to work on yourself. And when you say abolitionist, I love that word because I work with so many abolitionists around human rights, around slavery, around uh, corporate change, around so much, but always focused on human centric aspects. And since Secure, just right in the midst of all of that in many ways, you're a supporter, you're representing, supporting diversity and inclusion and equity and, and, and uh, all of that. But you're also in the same time specifically supporting minorities and specifically women. And it's so refreshing to see a leader young and capable and able to really be such a great voice in the times when we've seen a lot of change and a lot of misbehavior from the leadership standpoint. I have to be, uh, you know, as somebody that grew up with a very strong female uh, role model in my mother, and I've worked within women's rights dating back to 2005 so we're talking uh, 17 years now um it, it's always been something that's been incredibly important to me and then when my girls were born it was this thing where if I don't do everything in my capacity to make the world a better place by the time they're old enough to recognize am I really doing my job as a father and the answer I came down to is no so ever since I refuse to be quiet. Now, speaking openly, there's a lot of times I walk into a room where regardless of how beloved you, people seem to think I am, I'm not wanted because I do talk about racism. I talk about systemic oppression. Um, I break down the walls of mental health and I call out people when they commit microaggressions. I, and it gets uncomfortable for people. And I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, I'm doing what I know needs to be done. And frankly, if I don't do it, I don't see somebody else stepping up to. As a genocide torture war trauma survivor and seeing so much complacency that gets people to that level that those what from those micro acting out and micro to uh, to completely different spectrum where they're full blown lash out and all of that and complacency is the factor when we're complacent we literally then allow and approve that type of behavior first of all I want to kudo you for stepping up and doing what's not popular but what is necessary. And that is what's really all about building the legacy. It's not about who how many likes and who is going to pat you on the shoulder and approve because you fit their narrative, but it's about doing the right thing. And if we do more of that, landscape would be so different. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. But the problem with it is, is that to create the landscape that we need that should have been built in the first place, we have to bulldoze everything down yes. and that's abolit that's being an abolitionist mm -hmm. and 
when the top 2% controls the infrastructure, they're not going to want to bulldoze it. So instead, what we're forced to do is we're forced to be in a position where we have to be a little bit like a woodpecker and peck away over and over and over and pray that we are pecking fast enough that the other side isn't fixing it before we get to where we need to be. Mm. That is very powerful. And I love what you just said, because the same thing what I'm seeing, Dan, is a lot of people are dealing with the old structure I just said, and they just think by reshuffling, uh, you know, and repositioning things, uh, and restructuring that things are going to work. When in reality, it needs to be done more than bigger efforts, which really will allow for innovation to happen where there will be much better strides and serving the better in the long run. But you as just said, it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people, but any method we use that progress towards the right direction is better than against sitting on the sidelines. So speaking of that, how did you brought that in, that mindset and everything and success to uh, organizations that you right now representing? So first of all, I have to say, I am not here speaking on behalf of Amazon. Uh, this, everything I say is my opinion and my opinion alone. But what I would say is, is this, and I've been very clear from the get-go. And you could see it on my LinkedIn profile. It, it says, uh, you know, I get paid by such, but I work for my candidates. And mm. I am unrelenting. In my opinion, I refuse to pander. If somebody doesn't like what I have to say, guess what? And this is going to come across as cocky, so I apologize for that. But the fact is that I am one of the top recruiters in the world. If you do not like how I am operating, and I know that I am operating in a way that's meaningful, that's meaning, meaning to force and impact change, No, my resolve, my ethics, my morality is stronger than any job. And I do not care if I have to leave and go somewhere else. My mission will be carried out regardless. Mm. That is so ballsy, very powerful and very uh, beautiful in the same time, because a lot of times people have hard time on shielding themselves and being visible in their values, in their beliefs, and also of what matters to them, right? And by saying all of that, it's just so also extremely powerful and transformational because I wish the more people are like you, Dan, actually. I think we'll world be much better place because then we will know exactly what's going on. Then we'll not have a second guessing. We'll not have a, a chance to really feel bad about something that maybe doesn't have nothing to do with us. But we fluff things, we downplay, we, we do all kinds of tricks and, and, and we lose opportunity to connect and, and have an honest, transparent conversation as you said in the beginning, because it's so painful for so many. You know what though, and here's the thing, I wasn't always this way. Like I didn't always have this resolve. I grew up in a position where 
I had a lot of advantages and I'm going to be very clear on that. I had a lot of advantages growing up, um, white showing, uh, but at the same time, I did deal with a lot of issues. I dealt with being neurodiverse. I dealt with having language processing disorder. I was bullied fairly heavily my entire uh, life, even going up through college. And when you go through the things that I've gone through, you have two options. Mm. One is that you get very angry. Yes. And you push back. And the other option is you look deep and you think to yourself, did I go through this for nothing? Or did this give me a purpose? And that self-awareness led me to be able to do the things I do, but it took me God, 35 years on this earth to finally find my place. It wasn't overnight. And I'm guilty of a lot of the things I stand up against now. You know, there were times growing up where I was 100% guilty of locker room talk. I was 100% guilty of making assumptions and walking across the street when I should have stayed where I was. Mm. I'm guilty of making jokes that were in completely bad taste because I thought that they were funny. Mm. But here's the thing. It's realizing why we do these things that allows you to explore and understand what you need to be doing going forward. And it was my good friend, Jen Buck, that told me, we were talking and she said, you know, Dan, the first thing you have to understand is everybody's born racist. I was born racist because it's this, as the world has turned, as we've gone through, there's normality in the way that you're brought up in the philosophies. And it was me accepting that, okay, this is how my mind was programmed to operate that I could say, okay, well now here's where I have to watch. Here's what I have to do. Um, and it's having that awareness and um, acting in spite of it. It's very, very powerful because uh, in reality, when we come to the life, to, to, you know, as, as, as we are like, you're like your beautiful, beautiful twin daughters, you know, they don't know the racism. They, they get conditioned and exposed to that based on interactions. And a lot of times we don't know that subconscious thing till we really start hitting preschool or, or elementary school and start really looking and seeing what other kids are doing, right? And, and, and why they're behaving in a certain way and then and, and what happens. But then also we see opportunity through adulthood even if you've been exposed to the worst of the worst, we, we can deep down know right from wrong, right? And the question is, are we willing to change? And it's so beautiful to see 
that you're recognizing the need for change and embracing the change and now exuding the change. That's what's really all about. It's not about scolding old Dan or why you were who you were, but awareness. When we know more, we should do better. And that's, I think, something that to speak about also to your tremendous success. What was this whole journey that brought you to be so exceptionally successful as a recruiter and serve people so well? So, you know, I want to, before I answer your question, I want to backtrack just a, a little bit. You mentioned my kids and here's the thing. My wife is the most remarkable woman I've ever met in my life. And my kids were not born into a traditional household. What I mean by that is that I'm Jewish, my wife's not. We're bringing our children up with knowledge and celebrating all religions. We want them to be educated on everything. As far as my wife goes, in the beginning of our relationship, she said, I don't want to change my last name. I said, okay, who cares? And what I mean, who cares? I mean, like, I didn't care that she didn't want to change her last name. There wasn't that dynamic. As far as the typical family dynamic, my wife and I share the duties. If one of us is too tired, the other one cleans up. Um, the only thing that I don't do is cook because my cooking is horrible, um, but it has nothing to do with not being willing to do it. I know how to do my laundry, you know? So I took care of my, my when I was laid off as a result of the pandemic, I was a full-time stay-at-home dad for 18 months. Um, when my kids were first born, I would start drinking coffee at nine o'clock at night and pull an all-nighter so that I could feed my girls their formula so my wife could sleep. Mm. It's about being part of a team. And mm -hmm. if we're able to show our children mm. that tradition has nothing to do with history but has to do with what we decide to do as a family then yes. we build new traditions that allow them to be successful and i will tell you right now my children will grow up knowing that if somebody says something that they are going to be able to back it up with facts my children have inscribed copies each one of them has their own inscribed copy of plantation theory written by john graham jr who's mm -hmm. a, who thankfully is a friend of mine I, they're going to be reading hush money they're going to be reading cast they're going to be they're you know they're going to be growing up seeing schindler's list they're going to be seeing all these things that are going to create this ability for them to be global citizens mm. I'm so glad you shared that and, and how rich that is and how I love, again, opportunity for others that are watching and listening to the Legacy Leader Show with Dan, how important it is to take all those walls and barriers and look at how can we show up and where we can show up and serve. And nothing as greater is as serving your own family and being there for them. And, and I know how much you love your those girls and how much you invested in them from day one. It's so beautiful to see how the nurturing relationships also translate in your work 
outside of the home and how you treat people and what as a result people are receiving. The warmth, the honesty, opportunity, and ultimately success. And that is very, in many ways, easy, but is also very hard to do in today's society. So do you mind sharing a little bit about um, how that all translates in the landscape we're in and that we're seeing today in 2022? If you had asked me this question three years ago, I think I did have a different answer for you. We're sitting here in a society that's going backwards. We're sitting here in a society that just took a woman's right over her own body and took it away. We're sitting here in a society that is still being affected by bad choices that were made almost eight years ago. We're in a society where the ones that the ones that sit on their lawn with the confederate flag waving feel more comfortable in than those waving the flag of Tulsa Oklahoma so how does what i'm doing affect i'm fighting back at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, what I am doing is fighting back. Because regardless of whether my reach is two feet or a thousand miles, it starts in the home. It starts with the way we choose to raise our children. And my hope is that by me speaking out, by me using the platform that I've created, that I've built from the ground up, by working with my wife to create an environment where we are not afraid, then that will have a trickle down effect. There's a reason why I do the interviews that I do. There's a reason why I don't shy away from the term abolition. There's a reason why I talk about systemic oppression. There's a reason why if a woman is talking and a guy interrupts her, I interrupt him. We have to be better. So look, if it takes the rest of my life to make a small dent, then it takes the rest of my life to make a small dent. But we cannot leave things the way that they are now. And anybody that thinks that we can is being irresponsible as a human being. That is so powerful and very, very true. I, I definitely share same consensus as you do, Diane. And I know that a lot of people are lost and they don't know where they stand or they're confused or they're in, uh, divided or conflicted because of the environment they're in. But the journey, how you got there, obviously you, you went within. And everything you're talking about is coming, you exude that. It's, it's, it's part of your DNA. It's part of who you are. It's not just the new trend as we've seen a lot of people doing that. And, and, and I really kudos you because it's not easy to be in your shoes and to do that consistently every single day. But it is necessary. It's most needed. It's not what we want, but really what we need the most. And those things are painful, aren't they? So here's what I'll say. It's not difficult to be me in the sense that 
I'm, this is just who I am. What's difficult is when you feel yourself banging your head against the wall yeah. because it feels like nobody's listening, no change is being made. I do events all the time talking about minorities, talking about how we could create. And the vast majority of the time, the people that are in the audience are the ones I'm talking about. But who is the ones that actually need to be there? It's the ones that look like me. It's the ones that have an ability to open the door of change. But if they're not willing to listen, if they're not willing to internalize, it's not going to do any good. And that's the hard part. Yes. It's so, yeah, it's, it's not hard to be me, but it's hard. The, it's hard when the results just don't seem to come. You know, it's, it's so beautiful what you just said. And I also want to say something uh, that can help everybody watching and listening. A lot of times we want to see major big shift and change, right? But we think that our little efforts, as you said, you're making a dent in your in the lifetime of your efforts don't maybe matter or maybe not as, as meaningful valuable. But in reality, that's where those compound results of those changes built to something amazing and beautiful and, and, and completely uh, in Kapudasini. So I just want to say anybody that is listening and watching, please, please know all those efforts count, even how small they might be. And those usually start everything with small effort. And now your infection of, of your enthusiasm, of, of who you are, Dan, brings others to act. And look at what you create, ripple effects and desire of others to do the same and follow the suit. So just wanted to say, never underestimate your power and what you're already doing and how you're changing the landscape on the larger scale. Larger scale. You know, I appreciate that. And the reality is that I've come to terms with the fact that the work that I'm doing may never be recognized during my lifetime, but I'm not doing it for the recognition. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I do believe change is possible, yes. but you know, it takes 300 it's there's 365 days in a year. It's a slow movement and same thing with this. Yes. So very interesting because all those changes were like, I remember even for decades, um, how organizations need to change their direction, how they treat their people, or are they focusing on their biggest assets, which is again, people versus profit versus technology. And we're seeing same thing. And then now what we're seeing is truly like, the domino effect in everybody's face of what did not work out in the past and now we know why right it's like if we never put people first and understanding people's dynamics and needs and desires uh, we're gonna suffer greatly and it's gonna be worse and worse before it gets better so um i'm curious if you don't mind sharing for others i mean you are a word winning recruiter you built something amazing in a very short period of time how did you self-discover the recruiting is your passion i know you changed completely industries and everything how did you really discover yourself 
and 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 what what do you what do you see where that is headed in terms of breaking the molds and innovating and new new strategies and new processes and new ways of recruiting and dealing with people so great question and discovering that I was meant to be a recruiter was not something that happened overnight. You know, when I lost my job and I went through the process at 35 years old of looking for other jobs, I did not expect, I was scared to death of pivoting again in my career. I thought I'm too old for this. Um, believe it or not, it was only through a recommendation from a friend that I joined LinkedIn and said, okay, well, what do I have to lose? I don't have any other options. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to make myself look better for employers. And I came on and I made the decision. I said, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this my way. So I said, my, I got on video. I said, hi, my name is Dan. Um, I'm neurodiverse. And this is what I deal with. And I put it out into the world. And mm and deleted the video right away so I couldn't take it back. And then I started looking for ways that I could improve and, and I started listening to people and doing different things. And one of the first things I noticed was that um, Carolyn Christie was doing these networking posts and they were really successful. And I looked at, I said, well, nobody's doing something like this to connect job seekers to recruiters. So I said, well, I don't really have any expectation. I barely had 500 connections. Let me try this out. So I put out a post and the first time it did 3000 views and then it did six. And then by the third week we were up to like 20,000. And I'm like, you know what? I'm onto something. So when I made the decision to continue on, my idea was, well, if I'm gonna do this, I need to make sure that I'm hitting all the boxes. So I started networking with recruiters and I started networking with hiring managers and I started connecting with job seekers and LinkedIn experts. And one after another, I built up this tremendous network. And what that was able to do was now I was able to say, okay, I have all these people, they're all invested. And what I didn't realize at the time is I was building a community. Yeah. So fast forward, I start doing 50,000 views. I have a career coach, Anna Morgan. She's like, Dan, you were born to be a recruiter. I said, no, 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 no. And people were asking me about being a recruiter. And then one day I woke up and I'm lost. And I remember sitting in bed and thinking to myself, Dan, why not just get out of your own way? You're already doing this. And mm. in that moment, for whatever reason, I don't know why I agreed to it. I took 40 hours worth of LinkedIn learning courses to upskill myself in recruitment. And within eight weeks, I landed at Amazon. Wow. And the reason I got there being a pivoter, because this is everybody's question, how did you do it? How did you transition from a career as global project manager into recruitment? It was that community building. It was because I realized what I did different than everybody else. And I used it to my advantage. 
and it stood out. So even though I didn't have the experience, I had this amazing tool. Yeah. And not only did I start for a top five company, I was training people inside of two months. In three months, I was training all the hiring managers on LinkedIn. I am the subject matter expert for all diversity recruitment initiatives for my division. And I'm gonna be starting to speak at events. I was named one of the top 25 job search experts to follow on LinkedIn by JobScan. I've done 60 speaking engagements. I've keynoted two addresses in Nigeria where I learned Yoruba. Hmm. This is how I got to be where I was at because it was always a matter of, well, here's where I am. How can I look six steps ahead? How can I identify the next iteration? And that's how you met me because I immediately saw that I could use Clubhouse to my advantage. But guess what? When everybody else was still doing this recruitment stuff, the second I realized there was no more any return on investment or return on time, I looked for the next angle. And I keep looking for the next angle. Very and that's what's landed me here. I love that. You tried a lot of things, you quickly assessed, you saw what's not working. Uh, and then what, where is the waste of time or where is just simply hangout place, but it's not necessarily giving you directions or heading in different directions you need it to be. And I just love the way you pivoted. And uh, right now you have phenomenal large LinkedIn groups with recruiters and people that are looking for jobs and great opportunity for networking. You're also having such a great visible, obviously presence, not only because you represent the top five companies uh, in the world, but you also are now active. You're creating your own content. You are very vulnerable. You're very real and a very transparent in how you feel, how you think and what's important to you. And I really wanna stress this out because so many people are uncomfortable to share their story. They're so uncomfortable to unveil who they are, what they're struggling with. So you also dealing with something that I wanna again, kudo you for talking about mental health issues and how real issues they are. And then talking about struggles because what we never see enough how that process, we always see just success and it's intangible and very hard to obtain. It's kind of pie in the sky, but in reality, it's not if we know what parts of that success we making looks like, right? Yeah, you know, that's the other thing. Because I grew up neurodiverse, and do you mind explaining what that means yes. for anybody so, that does not know sure. that? I always forget really? to explain it. No, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But yeah, you're, you're right. I always forget to explain it, which is very neurodiverse in me. Um, neurodiversity is a umbrella term for everything to do with when the brain doesn't function as somebody typically would. So autism spectrum disorder, autism, uh, sorry, uh, Asperger's, uh, ADHD, language processing disorder, dyslexia, all of it falls under this. Um, for me, I'm ADHD and I have language processing disorder. What language processing disorder means, and this will explain why I got bullied for it, is oftentimes I will know exactly what I'm trying to say up here, but in the process of trying to take it from here to here, it gets jumbled. So I would be talking to family, friends, whatever, 
and know what I was trying to say, but the way that it would come out would sound funny. And when you're, when you're a kid, people, people tend to mock and mimic those that are a little bit different. But because I went through this in my self-awareness, I've never been shy about talking about mental health. I, I'm very open about it. Uh, as much as this term is overused, I truly feel like it's my job to be the voice for the voiceless. I'm the guy that at a time where bias still very much exists, said on his resume, I, am, I have a disability. In my interview to go full-time with Amazon, one of the questions that was asked was tell me about a time uh, where you got critical feedback. And I discussed how I have a tendency to interrupt people. And the thing with it is it's not intentional. It's part of the way that my brain makeup goes forward. And, and I discussed it and I have to be open about this stuff because the more that we're open about it, the more people are gonna feel comfortable having those discussions. And the fact of the matter is people that are neurodiverse, people that are different have just as much, if not more capability than anybody else. It's just, it's just a different way of doing things. And it's not like it's costing companies a ton of money. For neurodiverse individuals, having something like a stand, like a desk that goes up and down is tremendously beneficial. How much does that actually cost in the scheme of things, especially when we're in a hybrid environment? You know, the average person could only pay attention or work at full force for 88 minutes before needing a 20 minute break. This isn't neurodiverse. This is everybody. So having that ability to fix your own schedule and as long as you get the work done, who cares? The ability to take breaks and, and, and do all these things. This is not rocket science. And I'll tell you the other thing I fight against. People are going to hate me for this. Uh, I am probably the biggest critic of the word imposter syndrome. I hate beyond hate when people monetize off of this effing word. And the reason being is not because I'm disassociating from it. It's not because I'm downplaying a, a mental health condition, but when we utilize terms that are okay. seen as catchwords. Yes. It, and backward. Yeah. It takes away from the fact that imposter syndrome is not in the DSM. It's not in the manual, that, the doctor's manual that talks about all the official terms. You know what is inferiority complex? You know, when we start having inferiority complex, when we're two years old, when we're sitting at the playground and we see all these other kids playing, we're wondering, oh, I really wish I could play with that, with, with those kids. Or whether we're in, um, elementary school and we're sitting in the cafeteria and we see the popular kids, I want to be over there. That's inferiority complex. Look at the definitions, folks. When we take these words and we put them in the wrong context, it could have a tremendously negative effect without meaning to. So I will say this right now, and I don't care who hears it. If you are monetizing off of these words, you are a despicable human being it's it's very very uh deep and i'm so glad you're addressing that because we are as a society specifically here in the u.s are full of labels 
and assumptions and nomenclature that defines what that actually means or on surface, but then even with the same definition could be completely two different meanings internally for yourself and for organization, right? So knowing and really understanding what that is and those differentiating factors is essential. And you're right, I see also people who are monetizing on other people's pain and suffering. And when they're also feeling depressed and down, like job seeking, for example, for some of people it's being the wrong road or it's not being easy because maybe they have phenomenal talents and skills. And, and then again, you know, still not getting results that they want because you, a lot of times people tend to blame themselves for stuff that they are truly don't have nothing to do with them. But how enlightening it is, everything we're talking about to help to eliminate confusion, misunderstanding, extra pain points, ghosting people and acting immature and unprofessional, but also labeling and specifically labeling incorrectly. And as a result, uh, creating culture that continues to mislabel and misportray so many people. And a lot of that truly, unfortunately, it's happening right now. That's why we're seeing unprecedented exodus and very hard actually to get and land the right jobs because it's so hard to find matching cultures or so hard to find the right teams that are going to really be there for you, to support you with everything you just said and be there for you to, because with the extra tolerance and understanding, not because you need to be accommodated extra, but with understanding that not everything is linear. It's not, we're not here just to be served. We're here to serve others. And, and, and I really would love, uh, kudo you for breaking those molds as well so that you and everybody else can be served in the best possible way. But Isabel, I'm gonna challenge something that you just said. You said people of the same culture. That's not what it's about, as far as I'm concerned. When one of the problems I see is actually that companies are hiring because they're looking for people that are exactly the same. That's what we, that's what we term culture fit. What I am looking for is I am looking for somebody that brings something different, that brings something new. Because here's the thing, and this is the sad thing. This is really, really sad. If people were able to be adults, if we were able to take constructive criticism and internalize it for what it is, which is a chance to better ourselves, instead of automatically assuming negative and going to human resources and doing all this, and if we were able to have adult conversations, that takes away the need. Because that means we're, that you're in an environment that allows you to excel and allows you to accept those differences, even if you don't agree with them. Yes. I agree. With, and then right now, we shouldn't be hiring for cultural fit. And you spot on. Every time I do assessments, I always find C-suite guys are all the same, 90% same type of behavior personality how can we then solve the problems and complexity if we, all of us are looking in the same direction and we are so having many blind spots because we are not willing to look at a problem and situation from different vantage point of view that is why it's crippling growth that is why it's crippling outcomes and that's why so many consultative companies 
have amazing outlets and need and demand. Because if we can do that in-house, we will never need to go externally. That tells also the nature of the beast, doesn't it? Um, and I love that you're pushing an envelope and showing what's possible. We should be hiring people based on what they bring for to the table, uh, their skill set, and what magic they can create. And so many people come with dreams and hopes and aspirations and desires. And before you know it, they're put in the box, in the mold, and all the creativity goes away and they feel suffocating. Uh, and that is the saddest part to see with such amazing, brilliant talent. But you are doing something beautiful and different. So do you mind highlighting for the friends and colleagues that are listening, how are you approaching that and what results you're creating for those amazing human beings? So I'm a disruptor in the recruitment field. I think it's been done the wrong way for a long time by a lot of different people. Yes. I... My recruitment process is not about jumping on a call for 10 minutes. My recruitment process is, okay, I'm going to look at your LinkedIn profile. I want to see how you are different. Let's jump on a call together. I do not ask, tell me about yourself. I don't. It's a trap question. I have conversations with people. I want to learn about what makes them tick. I want to understand what their motivations are. If your wife or your spouse is going through something and you need extra flexibility, I want to hear about that. It's not going to damper your chances with me. I want to build a relationship with these individuals because when it comes down to it, and I've said this before and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. They have to see me as as good a fit for them as I do them for me. So we go through this process and we, and we have, we're able to identify. And guess what? If we make the determination that the division I'm working for isn't right for them, then I'll send them to the right division. I do not give a flying F about my metrics and my stats. A win for the company is a win for me because that means that we're getting the right people where they need to be regardless. And I would rather take that time because here's, here's it, here it is. If you force somebody into a role, you are significantly decreasing the amount of time that they're going to be in that role because they're gonna wind up not being happy. But if you do your due diligence and you spend that extra time and you find them a fit they're really gonna be happy in, well, now you expand the time that they're going to be in that role exponentially. And if I'm doing my job, that's the way I wanna be every time. That's fantastic. And I love that approach and I love that you're disrupting because we uh, definitely need uh, people like yourself to really come from people level. And everything as we know starts with our true genuine conversations and connections and trust. And then from there leads to referrals, to from there leads to uh, tremendous opportunities and growth for both sides. And that is how it should be business done anyway. And that is where, again, everybody watching and listening is so important to understand because that does reflect 
not only in your leadership, but also what are you going to be remembered for and how you're going to be remembered for. Ultimately, your legacy, either we are consciously or unconsciously, we are creating one. So speaking of that, Dan, what is coming next? What, what is the one big, huge goal, obviously, as abolitionists and working on all of these human rights and, and civil rights and, in general, people rights, and for now, for sure, in a working environment, advocating for them, uh, what is in the bucket list? I'll tell you, I'm getting to do something on the bucket list. Actually, I'm going to have to do two things on the bucket list. And I don't want to be self-serving in, in the statement, but I have an upcoming event for free on August 4th. And I was able to secure um, two of my best friends, um, Future Kane, who's been my diversity, equity, inclusion mentor and role model, uh, and such a great friend, John Graham Jr., who wrote Plantation Theory. And then I get to bring in Jackie Abram, who wrote, um, I did not bring this here for this, but she wrote the Hush Money books. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the intersection between their two books and about overcoming racism in the workforce. Um, and it's a, it's going to be a big event. Like I'm promoting this like I've never promoted an event before. Uh, I mean, I spent 15 years as a journalist and I've never promoted anything like this. But the other thing that's in the pipeline, I wouldn't necessarily call it bucket list. I'll say that it used to be bucket list and then, <laughs> uh, for various reasons, it left the bucket list. Uh, and this is gonna be breaking. Uh, I have not announced this, but I just signed a book deal. Um, <laughs> so- Fantastic, kudos. Yeah, so- I'm going to be putting out an anthology about accepting your weaknesses as strengths and changing the narrative, uh, changing the way that your life is headed. Because as I put in my post the other day, I went in a, here's the part I didn't include. I put out five years. If you talk about 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I moved to San Diego making $9 an hour. Five years ago, I was making $30,000 a year. Now I'm making more than five times what I was in the last five years. And it's not all about money, but when you are able to discover your passion, when you're able to figure out and gain clarity there is no limits to the capability that you have as an individual. And I, mm -hmm. I've been down the road. I've shed the tears. I've fought through when I had nothing to eat but ramen until my next paycheck. And while I don't believe my story is novel, while I don't believe that I am better than anybody else, I do believe that somebody is going to read it and somebody is going to be inspired to make a change in their life. And if that happens with one person, that will be a great day. 
That is awesome. First of all, congratulations. I am beyond happy and thrilled for you. And of course, you're going to make a huge impact and difference more than one person because people are craving authentic paths and successes and breakthroughs because we don't want any more recycled narratives that we're seeing and a part of the culturalization of how something should happen. But we need something that is real and raw and then also helping us to relate and it's relatable and your story is tremendously relatable. So then with that in mind, in closing, uh, what would you like your legacy to be? I mean, you already have amazing trajectory and things you're making right now and what you are already known for. But deep down in your heart, for everything you have in motion and so far what you accomplished, what would be something you can say, hey, Isabel, I really, not only living it and leading it as you're already doing, but this is what I feel like I'm leaving for future, for future generations. What leaving, would it be? I'm leaving my children. I'm leaving two incredible, incredible young women that are going to know that their father loved them, that are going to be able to stand up for what's right. I am leaving a twin duo like you have never seen before. And I don't expect them to carry on my legacy. But what I do, but I know that they are going to be tremendous people. And that is all I care about. And everything else, that's just, you know, that's gravy. Because at the end of the day, I keep saying that I'm going to have to kick my own tail for repeating. I've already achieved more than I ever thought I would. I did not think I was going to be, if you asked me in high school, I didn't think I was going to be around past 30. Mm. I can't believe sometimes I've gone here. I just had 300,000 people cheer me on, on LinkedIn. It's a dream for me most days. So you asked me in the very beginning, you asked me, how do I do everything? Because I love it. Beautiful, beautiful. For everyone that is eager to see, not only to hear about this, obviously, podcast and Legacy Leader Show, but also participate in an upcoming event on August 4th, which is my birthday. We're going to put the link. We're going to also connect you guys. Then you can directly reach out to Dan, any other avenues you want them to connect with you, because Dan, you are gold, my friend. And I just love your heart and I love what you're showing, uh, how you're showing up and what you're showing for others, what is possible in times when we doubt ourselves, in times when we're stuck, in times when we feel depleted and when it's no helping hands. I, I just want to say, I, I kudos you for showing up and being such an amazing, remarkable human. Well, I'm going to be celebrating your birthday with you because mine's on the third. Yay! <laughs> Leo's rule! <laughs> that is fantastic, Dan. So any closing remarks for today's Legacy Leaders Show? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. You know, if you're out there listening and if you pull one thing away, everything that we do in life makes a difference, whether you realize it or not. So... I'm not going to tell you to be authentic. I'm not going to tell you to be organic. I'm just going to say, keep on me and you and give yourself some grace. 
uh, and everything will work out. Thank you so much once again. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.